Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Psalm 22 has been called the Psalm of the Cross. The Psalm presents the crucifixion of Christ in great detail. The facts are as realistic and accurate as the accounts you read in the four Gospels. And in fact, it led some in church history in the past to label it the fifth Gospel. But this psalm was written a thousand years before Christ, and hundreds of years before crucifixion was ever invented, as the Jews knew nothing of crucifixion at this time. Stoning was Israel's form of capital punishment. Yet, amazingly, it perfectly matches and describes the scene of Christ's crucifixion. So here we have a prophecy regarding an unknown form of execution 1,000 years before it happened. And this chapter shows the truth and the wonder of inspiration of Scripture. As a psalm was written by David under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is another of the many types and shadows and prophecies we find in the Old Testament pointing forward and bearing witness to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it shows how Christ walked in the way prepared beforehand for Him and that He fulfilled prophecy and the Father's will perfectly in going to the cross. Psalm 22 verses 1 through 5 read, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered, they trusted in thee and were not confounded. David, the writer of the psalm, has experienced an intense hardship in which it felt as if God had abandoned him. The Holy Spirit inspired these prophetic words intensely felt by David, but supremely experienced by David's greater son, Jesus Christ, at the cross. Matthew twenty-seven forty-six records that Christ cried out from the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, or my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Christ quoted these words on the cross. He was not picking words at random. He consciously fulfilled the scriptures on the cross. The Lord was in control as he hung on the cross. He showed that he is the truly forsaken one as the Father turned away from him as he bore the sins of the world. The Son from all eternity had had perfect, uninterrupted communion and fellowship with God the Father. We see this in the words the Lord prayed in John seventeen five, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. But as Christ took 
the sins of the world upon himself, the Father had to turn away as he judged our sin in his Son. So Christ was cut off, separated from the Father, abandoned, and Christ felt the awful, terrifying forsakenness that we deserved. And as Christ bore our sins and became sin, the Father unleashed all the fury of His righteous wrath on His own beloved Son. And He forsook His Son, and for our sakes, Christ was forsaken by God that we might never, ever be forsaken by Him in the lake of fire. Christ cries out in His anguish and roars for the Father and for His help. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring, he says. The son was driven to the extremes of grief and sorrow and groaned and roared loudly for the father out of his deep anguish and pain, but there was no answer. And there was only silence. After his cry of loneliness and forsakenness in verses 1 and 2, in verse 3, the Lord remembers the Father's character. He relies on what he knew to be true of God to help him through the agony of his suffering and abandonment at the cross. But thou art holy, he says. The amazing thing about this chapter in Psalms is that you and I are reading about the very thoughts of our Savior while he hung on the cross. And in his thoughts, he thinks about the perfect holiness of his Father and expresses that. Christ answers his own questions of why he was forsaken in the hour of his greatest need, why the Father was so far from helping and hearing his roaring. And it was because he was made sin and the Father was holy. And he knew the Father had to forsake him because of his holiness. In verses 4 and 5, Christ remembers also how faithful the Father was to Israel as her deliverer. As the fathers of the nation of Israel trusted and trusted and trusted, the Lord says, and thou didst deliver them. The Father demonstrated again and again how he rescues, he saves, and he delivers. But for the Son at this moment, he knew he was to remain without deliverance. And he lamented this knowing that he had to bear this awful judgment alone. The fathers were never forsaken. Their cries for help never went unanswered. They cried for deliverance and were delivered, but he had to be forsaken. And his cries for help would go unanswered, and he would not be delivered as he was made sin and as he paid the penalty for sin. Psalm 22, verses 6 through 11 read, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me. For trouble is near, for there is none to help. But I am a worm. He had reached the very lowest place. The Lord of glory humbled himself to become a man. And here he says he was lower 
than men. As he was no man, he says, but instead a worm. He's the great I am. He is Jehovah God. And in his humiliation, as he suffered on the cross, he considered himself to be a worm. These are two extraordinary extremes. He's God Almighty. But in his humility and the death and suffering of the cross, he felt himself to be no man and to be comparable to a small, insignificant, unnoticed worm. In a small country church, on one Sunday morning, they sang the hymn, At the Cross. One of the verses to the song goes, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? After the service was over, an upset person rushed over to the pastor and objected to the hymn, saying, I refuse to consider myself a worm. And the preacher graciously replied, My dear brother, a greater one than you or I took that title for himself. The son was forsaken by God the Father, and the man he was a reproach and despised. He was the target of jokes. He was made sport of, laughed at, scorned by the people. And sadly, this is still done to this moment with God's son. The laughter and mockery of those around the cross did not go unnoticed by Christ from the cross. He recognized it, he heard it, and it grieved his heart. Matthew twenty-seven thirty-nine to 43 says this, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if you will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Matthew twenty-seven forty-seven records how some of those who were standing there, when they heard Christ cry out, Eli, Eli, which is the words, my God, my God, they began saying, this man's calling for Elijah. But they knew better than that. Jews knew the name of God, Elohim, or Eli. It was sarcasm. It was mockery. It was jeering out of their twisted and wicked minds. They're joking around. And maliciously, they say, he's calling for Elijah. Ha ha is the idea. Those around the cross laughed at him, mocked him, shook their heads, scorned him. The Lord heard it all. All they that see me, the Lord tells the Father, the priests and the people, the soldiers, the civilians, all of them were united in their laughter, their scoffing cruelty and shouting insults. They spoke words of contempt and they made gestures of contempt. Shoot out the lip here and shake the head in verse 7. All were actions done by those in their mocking. People made faces at the one before whom angels cover their faces in their worship of him. And you can't read these verses and not think about the long-suffering and the love that kept our Lord on that cross and endured all this for us. He could have saved himself. The nails did not hold Christ to the cross. 
Love held Christ to the cross. He stayed there for you and for me. They taunt him and they aim their taunt at his trust in God in verse 8. That is the tenderest point in the Lord's life. This special piece of mockery was most likely the most bitter and biting and venomous. And it must have and it had to have stung and hurt him deeply. The Father and His will meant everything to the Son. Yes, He trusted in the Father. Yes, He delighted in Him. Yes, the Father could have delivered Him. They mock that they were witnesses, how He said He trusted in God. So why then was He permitted to perish? Why was He not being delivered? And if only they understood the answer. He was dying and paying the penalty for sin to provide salvation and hope for the whole world. Thinking of how he did indeed delight in the Father, in verses 8 and 9, the Lord thinks of the Father and remembers how it was he that took him out of the womb. How from the incarnation the Father had been with him had been watching over him from the beginning of his earthly life, and he takes great comfort in that fact from the cross. The Son of Man, who was marvelously begotten and miraculously begotten of the Holy Ghost, was in a special manner watched over by the Father when brought forth by Mary, and God's care over him was with him from the earliest point in his earthly life. As he cried out, My God, my God, at the beginning of the psalm, the claim is repeated in verse 10. The Father truly was my God to the Son, and they are one. And from the earliest point of his earthly life, the Father was my God and with him, caring for him always. But yet at this point, the Son remained by himself, forsaken, without his father's watching in presence. And it caused him to cry out in his thoughts and plea again to the father, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. And Christ's great woe was that the father had forsaken him, and his passionate plea and prayer was that he would again be near to him. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. God's Meaning in Matthew is a paperback 528-page commentary written by Pastor John Fredrickson. Finally, a verse-by-verse commentary on the Gospel of Matthew written by a mid-Acts dispensational viewpoint. If you've ever been reading Matthew and asked yourself, what is the meaning of this? God's meaning in Matthew is just what you've been looking for. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, the Berean Searchlight, call 
4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Psalm 22, verses 12 to 15 read, Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening in a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my, my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. The mighty or powerful ones in the crowd are marked here by the Lord from the cross, and they're referred to as strong bulls of Bashan. The pastures of Bashan were a fertile area in Israel with rich pasture land, which had strong, well-fattened animals. The bulls is a reference to the powerful in Israel, or the priests, the elders, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious rulers who were around the cross, those who were responsible for his arrest, for his trials, those who handed him over to the Roman government for execution. They were like bulls fed in the pastures of Bashan, full of strength, full of fury, and they stamped and foamed and bellowed around the innocent one. The Lord saw himself as in the midst of a herd of infuriated, vicious, wild bulls. They were brutal, many, and strong, and he, the rejected one, was surrounded and all alone, being surrounded by those who hated him and wanted him to die, throws force and brings emotion to the entreaty to the Father, be not far from me. He calls them strong bulls and also raging, roaring lions. They gaped upon me with their mouths. Verse 13 says, the word gape means to tear in pieces. In other words, their words tore at the Lord as they viciously, brutally attacked him in their hatred of him. These men are compared to vicious wild animals because that's what they became like, vicious wild animals. Like raging lions roar in their ferocity and tear their prey in pieces, so these men were like that. They were ferocious with their words and actions, and they violently and savagely tore at and attacked the Savior. Turning from the people around the cross, the Lord speaks of his physical sufferings in verses 14 and 15. I am poured out like water. He was utterly spent. His strength was like was poured out like water and gone. He had been brought to the most feeble and exhausted state. My bones are out of joint would have accompanied the point of weakness his body was at. Along with the posture he had while hanging on the cross, in his weakness, not being able to pull or hold himself up, the weight of the body was placed on his hands, arms, and shoulders, pulling them out of joint, causing, of course, intense, excruciating pain. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. His strength was gone such to the point that his heart was no longer firm or strong. It was like wax melting within him. And the great pressure of blood on the head and heart was characteristic 
of crucifixions. Charles Spurgeon once said this, The fire of almighty wrath would have consumed our souls forever in hell. It was no light work to bear as a substitute the heat of an anger so justly terrible. If the heart of Christ melted at it, what heart can endure or hands be strong when God deals with them in his wrath? My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. A pot's herd is a fragment of a broken clay pot. And the Lord likens himself to a broken piece of an earthen pot baked in the fire until every last particle of moisture is driven out of the clay. So he was like a brittle piece of earthenware, so dry and fragile it could easily be crumbled to pieces. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. The tongue cleaving to the jaws a sign of intense dryness and a tormenting extreme thirst. It would have caused him to barely be able to speak. And it's shortly after this point, that is John 19, 28 through 30, says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Psalm 22, 16-22 read, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. The Lord had referred to his Jewish tormentors and mockers, and now he turns to speak of the Gentiles around the cross. The dog in Scripture is used in reference to the Gentile, and this is speaking of the Gentile executioners and the Roman soldiers who carried out the crucifixion. And they too were all around the cross and surrounded him as he hung there. These animals used to describe the mocking and hateful people around the cross have rightly been called the Devil's Zoo. The Roman soldiers were like a pack of vicious dogs that encircled him, and this assembly of the wicked is who had pierced my hands and my feet with nails, the Lord notes. This was not done gently or carefully. It was done cruelly, trying to inflict the most pains possible. As the nails were driven in, this severed nerves in the arms and legs causing unbearable pain to shoot through the Lord's body. Matthew 27, 36 says that after the soldiers crucified him, it says sitting down, they watched him there. It says that they looked, and here in verse 17, they looked and stared at him. It gave them a sick pleasure and satisfaction to see him suffering. These dogs and assembly of the wicked also parted the Lord's garments. In Roman society, the executioners received the garments of the executed, so they divided his garments among themselves. But the Lord also had a seamless coat, according to John nineteen twenty-three to 24 which was more valuable 
So they cast lots and they gambled for that to see who would take it. And so significant was the fulfillment of this prophecy that all four of the gospel records records record that. In verse 20, the Lord's prayer from the cross was that he might be delivered from the sword and the power of the dog. Both of these references are to the Gentiles. The sword refers to the Roman governmental power, and the dog refers to the Roman soldiers. Notice in verse 20 how he calls the father my darling, which literally means my beloved. The father loves the son and called him, this is my beloved son. And the son loves the father as well as you see him here calling him my beloved. The lion and unicorn, a unicorn is literally a wild oxen. It's not the kind of animal that you see in the stories with the one horn sticking out of its forehead. It's literally a wild oxen and it's referring back to verses 12 and 13 which refers to the Jewish authorities. The Lord desired deliverance from these men who so cruelly mocked and laughed and ridiculed and scorned him. The construction of verse 21 is better understood. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the unicorns, for thou hast heard me, or you have answered me. Thou hast heard me. That that makes a distinct and triumphant break. He is no longer forsaken. He is heard. The sufferings of the Lord are past. The redeeming work is finished. The rest of the psalm turns at this point to a song of praise and triumph from this point forward. And verse 22 says, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Looking beyond death, it speaks of how Christ, after his resurrection, in praise would. He says, I will declare the Father's name unto his brethren. He purposes and anticipates that post-resurrection ministry to be his brethren's teacher. And he fixes his mind on the subject of that discourse to declare God's name. How thankful we should be for the cross. How grateful we should be for his great sacrifice. The cross is the perfect picture of love as Christ selflessly, willingly, gave himself to pay the penalty for all our sins, that we might be saved, that we have peace with God, that we have eternal life. For us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we should strive to keep the cross always before us so we might live for him, that that love might ignite us toward living a passionate, transformed life that is a praise offering to the one who died for us and rose again for us, that we might live forever with Him. And if you're watching, and have not trusted Christ as your Savior, please do this right now. God loves you. Christ died for you. Just trusting that Christ died for your sins and rose again, you are saved in that moment of time from all of your sins, and you have the free gift of eternal life. Thank you for watching Transformed by Grace. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.